Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you that you have given us such a wonderful salvation in your son, Jesus. We thank you that we have been baptized with your Holy Spirit, and we now belong to your body. We are members of your people. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit this evening. I pray that as we study and discuss the topic of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit Spirit would glorify the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with your Spirit, that we would have boldness, that we would uh, grow in our holiness, that we would be different by the work of your Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we are uh, talking about the, the Holy Spirit, more specifically, uh, Spirit-filled living. So we've been going through the, the, uh, the theological convictions of our church, and uh, two Sundays ago we talked about a God-centered understanding of salvation, meaning that God is the one who begins, uh, continues, and completes our salvation. Uh, last week, Jordan spoke about... Um, the authority of Scripture. We believe that the the Bible is the Word of God and therefore it has God's authority. Uh, And today we're going to talk about the Spirit-filled life or Spirit-filled living. And I think uh, speaking about the Holy Spirit is extremely important for us because I think that that, that the Holy Spirit is one of the most misunderstood persons of the Trinity, right? Many of us, uh, you know, understand quite a bit about the Father. Uh, we understand quite a bit about Jesus, but I, I think that sometimes the Holy Spirit gets a little bit neglected or misunderstood. And so let me give you, you know, maybe three groups, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but let me give you three groups of, uh, uh, or three perspectives on the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, and this is a very extreme case, and so if you find someone with this particular view, you need to, you need to run away. Uh, but on a more extreme case, there are some people that think of the Holy Spirit as some sort of impersonal force, right? Like not really, not really God, but kind of more like the power of God. So they think of the Holy Spirit as more of an immater- immaterial Thing or an immaterial power that helps you in your spirituality or whatever, right? So you, you will actually find, uh, you know, obviously no one will, will say it up front, but you will find that there's actually some cults that believe or think of the Holy Spirit in this way. And so we need to be careful to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person, not in the sense that he is a human, but he is a person in the sense that he has a personality, a will. Uh, you can make the Holy Spirit sad, or you can be, you know, you can be, um, for example, Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit, right? You cannot lie to a force, but you can lie to a person. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Now, 
there is a second group or a second perspective where the spirit is very much God, but he is set at the center stage of everything else, almost at the expense of the father and the son, right? It's basically like this. I mean, it, it was weird for me to think about this because it's like, well, can you be obsessed with a person of the Trinity? And I would say, no, I mean, he is God and you should worship God. But at the same time, we see in scripture clearly that the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, right? The role of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ. But sometimes people think more of the Holy Spirit as kind of like the center of everything. And unfortunately, in these groups, the Holy Spirit is sadly used mostly as a license to do whatever you feel is spiritual. So some people would roll on the ground or, you know, some people would say that they are slaying someone else or some people would shake uncontrollably or, you know, do things because they feel like the Holy Spirit is doing that in them. And so, for example, um, oh, not for example, um, in, in this particular perspective, sometimes the Holy Spirit is also seen as an excuse from having a thoughtful attitude or a diligent attitude or, or you know, doing hard work in, in studying the word of God. Let me give you an example. If I want to know what the Bible has to say about dating or about my job or about, you know, a, a circumstance in my life that I'm going through, what is easier to do? To go study the word of God diligent, diligently or to just pray and ask, Holy Spirit, will you reveal your will to me? Obviously, the, the second one is easier. And so, you know, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for the, for the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. But unfortunately, sometimes the Holy Spirit is, is, mis, or, or is used as kind of an excuse to not do the first thing, to, to go and study the Word of God. And one of the dangers of this is that maybe you think that the Holy Spirit told you something, but what is to say that this thing that you think the Holy Spirit told you is not your own emotions or your own heart? And so the Holy Spirit should never, uh, let me put it this way, we should never use the Holy Spirit as an excuse for us to put in the hard work of studying the word of God, of trying to discern what the will of God is. Now, there is a third perspective or a third group where the Holy Spirit is, um, he is misunderstood and abused when he is virtually ignored, right? So we have the first one where the Holy Spirit is kind of just made out to be a force or, or an impersonal power. We have the second one where the Holy Spirit is kind of at the center of everything, but misused and, and, and abused. And on the third one, we have the Holy Spirit who is misunderstood and abused when he is virtually ignored. And now let me, let me explain this a little bit more. People who, people who sometimes ignore the Holy Spirit are people who tend to be uh, pretty theologically minded, pretty logically minded, 
people who maybe would emphasize the things that I just mentioned earlier, right? They would emphasize hard work and diligence and studying the Bible. But unfortunately, these groups tend to be more familiar with who the Holy Spirit is up here, like theologically. But unfortunately, they are not very familiar with what it means to rely in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, wisdom, thoughtfulness, diligence, hard work, deep study, all of these are really, really great values. But if, if we value these things at the expense of the Holy Spirit, or, or let me put it in another way, if, if we are doing all of those things, in, if we do them in pride, presuming that we do not need the Holy Spirit, that my own wisdom, that my own hard work, that my own uh, deep study of the scriptures is what's going to get me the right answer, then we are neglecting the Holy Spirit as well. We are not working in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are minimizing the Holy Spirit. So our goal for today is to understand better what it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in order to do this, we would look at some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of believers. And so this is the main argument. The main argument is the Holy Spirit baptizes, indwells, and fills believers so that they are sanctified, empowered to edify, and emboldened to proclaim the word of God. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit baptizes, indwells, and fills believers so that they are sanctified, empowered to edify, and emboldened to proclaim the word of God. So the first three things in, the, in, in this argument are baptizing, indwelling, and filling. And these things, unfortunately, can be a little bit confusing to, to people. So let's, let's dive into them and gain some clarity. So we have three terms. The first one is baptizing, ba- baptism in or more specifically baptism with the Holy Spirit. So baptism in the Holy Spirit is what Jesus does at the moment of our salvation. We, when we hear the gospel, when we repent, when we believe in Jesus, he baptizes us with the Spirit. Remember the, the words of John the Baptist when he, uh, when he was talking about Jesus, right? He said of himself, John said, I have baptized you with water. This is in Mark 1, 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? So the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, you know, similar to the baptism in water that John was doing. But in the case of Jesus, Jesus would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection in Acts 1, 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then later in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul explains, for in one spirit, or it could also be translated with one spirit, which actually is a more preferable translation, for with one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So being baptized with the Holy Spirit means that Jesus has saved you and, he, and that he has made you a part of his new family, 
of his body. You belong to him. You have been given a new life. Just like baptism with water symbolizes uh, our own death to our old selves, and it symbolizes our new life in Christ. Well, when you repent and believe, the baptism with the Spirit is that actual regeneration that happens when you are born again. When you miraculously receive a new life, right? It takes a miracle to save people. It takes a miracle to bring someone from death to life. And that miracle is done by the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So let me, let me be clear here. Baptism in the Spirit or with the Spirit is not something that happens after salvation is not something that needs to be pursued in order to live a more spiritual life. Baptism in the Spirit is something that happens at salvation, at the moment of your salvation. It's a once and for all thing, right? We should not be pursuing any further baptism with the Holy Spirit because that baptism is that initial thing that happened to us when Christ saved us. Now, of course, we do have the disciples at Pentecost being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And someone could argue and say, well, but weren't the disciples already saved at the time that, that the Holy Spirit descended upon them at Pentecost and they were baptized with the Spirit? Yes, yeah, they were saved. And then someone could even go further and argue, well, what about the Samaritans that had already believed in the gospel, but then uh, the disciples had to go so that the Holy Spirit would descend upon them. And then someone could go even further and say, well, what about Cornelius and his family, the Gentiles? Uh, that, you know, they receive the Holy Spirit later. And so the, the idea here, you know, if you remember the book of Acts, uh, uh, the, the, when Jesus gives them the commission and says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's the thing about Pentecost. Pentecost was not just the disciples being baptized after they were saved. Pentecost was the moment that the entire history of salvation was transitioning from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, right? In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would not baptize people the way that the Holy Spirit baptizes people in the New Covenant. And so at Pentecost, there was something greater happening than just the individual baptism of the, of the disciples. Or to quote um, Wayne Grudem, he says, Pentecost was much more than an individual event in the lives of, of Jesus' disciples and those with them. The day of Pentecost was the point of transition between the old covenant work in ministry of the Holy Spirit and the new covenant work in ministry of the Holy Spirit. And same thing with the Samaritans, right? If the progression of, of salvation was from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, then it was also a transitional moment for them in which now the Samaritans, right, non-Jews, non or at least not pure blood Jews, they were receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time, right? And then with, the, with Cornelius and the Gentiles, it's the same thing. Now Gentiles are also receiving the Holy Spirit, right? So it was, a, it was kind of a transition, but from the book of Acts on, everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit right there. Right, So again, this is not something that we need to seek further. It's something that already happened if you already believed in Jesus.
So before we move on to indwelling, I do want to talk about one implication for us. You know, maybe many of us can say or think, you know what, I've, I've just never experienced a miracle in my life. I would like to experience a miracle. You know, if only I could see a miracle, maybe I would have a, a, an, an easier time believing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you something. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus, if you have repented, you have actually experienced probably the greatest miracle you will ever see in your entire earthly life. You were brought from death to life. You were dead and you were made alive with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a miracle. That is a huge miracle. Jesus performed many miracles when he was here on earth. But the greatest miracle that he performed was the forgiveness of sins of the people that he forgave. It was the salvation of the people that he saved. And so if you have been saved, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means that you belong to God, which means that you, you are a part of the family of God, which means that you are God's property. And that should give us encouragement. Jesus has baptized you with the Spirit and you are now a member of his body. Now, what about indwelling? Indwelling. Well, indwelling and baptism are actually really similar. They're not synonyms, but they are similar in that they both happen at salvation. Baptism and indwelling happen at the moment of salvation. And the difference with indwelling is that indwelling means that the Holy Spirit is now permanently residing in every believer. Earlier, I mentioned the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Well, here's a, here's a massive difference between the covenants. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would not indwell people. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit would selectively be upon certain people. Maybe, you know, let me correct that. Maybe even indwell some people, but not everyone. It was very specific. For example, King Saul at some point had the Holy Spirit with him in order for him to be king. But what happened when Saul, or what happened when God rejected Saul? What happened when Saul sinned against God? Well, the Holy Spirit left him. And then the Holy Spirit came and was with David. But even David, after he committed adultery and after he murdered someone, he prays in Psalm 51 and asks God not to remove his Holy Spirit from him. So the Holy Spirit was not indwelling every single Israelite. It was extremely rare. It's, there, is, uh, there is an interesting uh, event in Numbers 11. And I won't tell you the whole story, but basically, you know, Moses needs, or, or Moses is, is asked to gather a few people so that they would receive the Holy Spirit and they could also prophesy. They could also, you know, judge along with him. And this is what Moses says. He longs for, he says, Oh, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses' longing is that all of God's people, not just Moses and, and, and 70 others, but all of God's people, that all of them would be prophets, that all of them would have the Holy Spirit with them. 
but that was not the case in the old covenant. Moses had the Holy Spirit with them. The prophets had the Holy Spirit with them. Uh, the, the people that, that build the tabernacle, the Holy Spirit came upon them temporarily so that they could build the tabernacle. But in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was not indwelling people permanently. And so, obviously, one of the huge expectations of the new covenant was that the Holy Spirit would come upon all flesh, right? Like, Paul, like Peter says in, in, at Pentecost, quoting Joel, that the Holy Spirit would come upon all flesh. And so finally, when Pentecost happens, when the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples, indwells them, everyone is asking, what's going on? Are these people drunk? And Peter says, no, no, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. This is the fulfillment of the expectation of the entire old covenant, that the Spirit of God would come and indwell people indwell God's people. In Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians, we learned that when we believed in Jesus, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. But the Spirit is not only the guarantee of our inheritance, he is the seal that indicates that we are God's. The Holy Spirit is a seal that God puts on us to indicate that we belong to him, that we are his property, that our bodies are his temple. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians. In, in, in 1 Corinthians, he is, he is exhorting the Corinthians to abstain from sexual immorality. And this is one of the arguments that he gives them. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then listen to this. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So, you know, among the many implications of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, one of them is that we are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, indwelling us, this means that we belong to God and therefore we should seek to live holy lives. If our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we should seek to abstain from immorality. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, in it, the third point there is filling. So we have baptism, which happens at the moment of salvation. We, Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. We have indwelling, which also happens at the moment of salvation and is now permanent for all believers. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us as a seal. And then the third one is filling. Now, filling is different from the other two. Because, you know, all believers have the Holy Spirit. We, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you have repented, you have the Holy Spirit with you, but you are still commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are still commanded to seek and to pursue the, the filling in the Holy Spirit. You are not commanded to pursue the baptism in the Spirit because that's, that already happened at salvation. You are not commanded to pursue indwelling because that already happened at salvation. But we are commanded to pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit 
because that's something that we need for the rest of our lives. We need the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us for the rest of our earthly lives. We are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit and that's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, God commands us to be filled with the Spirit. This is what Paul writes. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage. One of them is just the fact that being filled with the Holy Spirit is contrasted with being drunk with wine, right? It's, I think it's a very telling contrast uh, because what happens when a person is filled with wine or what, what happens when a person is drunk? That person is controlled by the wine. That person is, is acting under the influence of the alcohol. Does that mean that the person is not responsible for what they do? Oh, they are, right? They're absolutely responsible for what they do. But at the same time, all of us would acknowledge and say, well, they are drunk and they are acting under the influence of the alcohol. And so it is so interesting that the opposite of, or, you know, that the, the analogy that he gives, the comparison that he gives is that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we are to be controlled with the Holy Spirit, that we are to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we're not responsible for what we do, right? It doesn't mean that we just ask the Holy Spirit to control us and then we just, you know, float around and let him do whatever he wants. Although, yes, we should absolutely surrender to him. But it means that we are responsible for the things that we do. We are responsible for our actions, but all of our actions, everything we do should be influenced by the Holy Spirit. The second thing that I want you to notice about this passage, and this is not immediately obvious in, in, you know, in most of our English translations, but uh, the command that we're given is a command to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not, this is not a one and done thing, right? This is not like you're filled with the Holy Spirit once and then you're done, but it's something that we are to pursue daily. This is something that we are to pursue every day, every hour. We need to be controlled and under the influence of the Spirit every hour. In Ephesians, it, 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 you know, just the very next verse, here are some of the results of acting in the Spirit, of living in the Spirit. He says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. Right? Do you ever wonder, okay, what does a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit looks like? Well, here we have an example. A person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is someone who addresses one another with psalms and hymns, someone who sings and makes melody to the Lord, someone who is thankful, someone who submits to others, 
I think I, I think I've, I've told you this story already, but uh, I read somewhere that um, in a church, there was a guy that just stood up and, and, you know, basically said that he had a word that the Holy Spirit had given him. And he just started speaking and his wife next to him told him, you know, that's not true. You're a liar. You know, whatever. She contradicted him and he, he hit her in the face. Do you think that person was filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit would never do that. Right? So we need, to, we need to let the Bible be the one dictating what a person filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. Right? Because there are a lot of misconceptions out there of what fill, being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like or means. But let us, or, or, but let's let the Bible tell us what a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. Now, we have, we have even more on what a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. In fact, we have the perfect example of someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, during his earthly life and ministry, as the perfect human, showed us exactly what it likes to be, what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're going to, we're, we're going to talk about some of, some of the work of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, but let, I, I do want to clarify a couple of things. To be clear, Jesus, or to be clear, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus has always been in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit, right? From eternity past. But when he came to earth, if you read in, in Philippians 2, you learn that Jesus voluntarily emptied himself and temporarily gave up some of his divine attributes, right? He never ceased to be God, but he put himself voluntarily under the limitations of human existence. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus was just as filled with and dependent on the Holy Spirit as any other human should be. During Jesus's earthly ministry, Jesus showed us exactly what it looks like to work and act and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me submit this to you. Jesus performed every single one of his ministries by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, let's just, you know, go briefly through his life. Obviously, he was you know, his conception alone was by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We learn that from uh, the message of the angel. Um, there is nothing to suggest that the Spirit was not with him as he grew up, although we don't have a lot of material from, from Jesus' childhood. But then look at what happened at Jesus' baptism. When John is describing Jesus' baptism, it, this is John the Baptist, he's describing it, uh, and he says that, he saw the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and remained on Jesus. Luke tells us right after Jesus' baptism that he was full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. After he was tempted, we read in Luke 4.14 that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee to begin his ministry. When he was uh, when he begun his ministry, he opened the scroll of, of, of the prophet Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
He has anointed me to bring good, you know, to, I don't have the quote here, but he has anointed me. I believe that's in Luke 4. In Acts 10, 38, Peter proclaims that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went performing miracles. John tells us that Jesus was given the spirit without measure. That is John 3, 34. Here's an interesting story that I think, that I think is very telling as well. When Jesus was casting out demons and he was accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, that is, you know, the devil, he responds that it is by the spirit of God that he casts out demons. And then he accuses them not of blaspheming against the son, not of blaspheming against the father. He accuses them of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, if you say that the, that the miracles that I am performing are done by the power of the devil, you're not sinning against me. You're not sinning against the Father. You're sinning against the Holy Spirit because it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that I am performing these miracles. So the bottom line is that Jesus, who is the perfect man, the perfect human, he showed us how a human should live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will empower us to do hard things, just like it empowered Jesus. The Spirit will empower us to preach the gospel. The Spirit, and I believe this, the Spirit will empower us even to perform miracles, right? Jesus said to his followers, you will do things even greater than these. The Spirit sometimes will lead us into the wilderness to be tempted. Right? Did you, did you catch that? That it was the spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness? Right? So when things are going amazing for you, don't say, oh, yes, the Holy Spirit is with me. But then when things are going bad, don't say, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not that filled with the Holy Spirit. No, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, was taken to the wilderness where he was tempted. It was after he was tempted, the spirit that empowered him for ministry and the Holy Spirit will empower us for ministry. We cannot do anything aside from the power of the Spirit. We are utterly dependent on the Spirit of Christ in all of our lives. When Jesus was about to leave, when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven after he had resurrected, he told the disciples, Sorry, he, he didn't say this after he was resurrected. Before he, he was going to the cross, he told the disciples that it was better for them that he left so that the Holy Spirit would come, right? Have you ever, you know, I'm sure all of us have thought of this. Oh, how amazing it would to be there when Jesus was here on earth. Yes, I, I think it would have been absolutely amazing. But Jesus is saying, it's actually a good thing that, the whole, that, that I'm leaving and that the Holy Spirit is here. So we have the spiritual presence of Jesus with us. After he resurrected, he told his disciples not to go anywhere until they had received power from the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, the Holy Spirit is, is amazing. He is incredible. We absolutely need the Spirit, we need His power. And I think that, you know, this, 
I think that this could cause a little bit of discouragement to some in the sense of, of thinking, well, maybe I just haven't experienced the, 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 the power of the Spirit as much in my life. You know, especially if, if it's to look anything like Jesus' life, then maybe I'm doing something wrong or maybe I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not living in the Spirit. And so here's a little bit of uh, uh, encouragement for us. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you want the Holy Spirit to, be, to, to fill you, if you want to be working in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be ministering to others in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to love your spouse in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to serve your church in the power of the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is ask the Heavenly Father to give you the Holy Spirit, to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you've noticed, but every time I pray before I start preaching, I ask for the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us, right? To fill me so that I can proclaim his word and to fill you and all of us so that his word would penetrate. His word would, would, uh, uh, would speak to us, would transform us. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing can happen. We need the Holy Spirit for our sanctification. We need the Holy Spirit for, or we need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to minister to the church. And we need the Holy Spirit in order to make disciples. So let's go through those three real quick. And these are more, these are more practical. These are things that the Holy Spirit does once he is indwelling us, once we are filled with the Holy Spirit. These are things that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. So the first one is sanctification. Sanctification means to become more holy, to become more like God, to abandon our sin and to grow in holiness. The, the letter to the, to the Galatians is, you know, I, at risk of oversimplifying it, especially after not having studied in a while. But the, it basically in Galatians, Paul is telling the, the, the church in Galatia, Yes, you were saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, but you are now trying to be sanctified by the power of the law or your own power or whatever else you're trying to use to be sanctified. And Paul is saying, just as you were saved by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, your sanctification also happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be sanctified. We cannot defeat our sin. We cannot overcome temptation apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul tells the Galatians in, in Galatians 5.18. And you're welcome to turn there uh, with me. It's a, it's a slightly longer passage. And this also answers to the question of what does a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit look like? Galatians 5.18. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? So here's the contrast. Those are the works of the flesh. That is the fruit of the flesh. Now let's see what the fruit of the Spirit is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right? So a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is someone who shows the fruit of the Spirit, is someone who shows love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's interesting. Self-control is interesting, right? Because one of the misconceptions about being filled with the Holy Spirit is almost this weird, uncontrollable type ecstasy when in Galatians, we have it very clearly that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. It is only by the Holy Spirit that we will be able to defeat sin and to live lives full of His fruit. Now, the next thing is, and, and this one I just want to mention, I'm not going to, you know, go deeply into it because we actually have a full series on this, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you are curious about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you want to learn more about those, I encourage you to go to our website, kaleo.community. Kaleo.community, I know that's a weird domain, but that's actually the domain, community, not come. Uh, and you can find our series on the Holy Spirit. But basically, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to each believer in order that they would edify the church. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts in order that we would serve one another, in order that we would supernaturally minister to one another. Now, some people like to differentiate between the more supernatural gifts of the Spirit and the not so, and the not so supernatural. But if they are gifts from the, from the Holy Spirit, then all of them are supernatural, right? So the Holy Spirit gives you the supernatural power to host someone in your house. The Holy Spirit gives you the supernatural power to give generously to others. The Holy Spirit gives you the supernatural power to teach, to preach, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, to, uh, to lead to do acts of mercy, etc. There, there are a lot of gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of them are supernatural because all of them come from the Holy Spirit. And lastly, a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is someone who is bold in making disciples. In the book of Acts in chapter four, Peter and John were preaching the gospel 
And the Jewish council actually arrests them and they bring him in and they charge them not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And, and Peter and John, their response is, well, we have to obey God rather than man. In other words, we're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. And this is early in the, in the ministry of the, of the disciples. And so the Jewish council, they don't really have a lot more to go off of. And so they let them go, but they threaten them. And they tell them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, Peter and John go back to the church and the believers gather to pray. What do you think they prayed for? Did they pray for safety or for comfort? Did they pray for protection? They prayed for boldness to continue preaching the gospel. Look at their prayer in Acts 4.29. They said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And listen to what happened after they prayed. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to pray, sorry, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I think one of the biggest signs that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit is boldness in proclaiming the word of God. It, this is so instructive for us, right? They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for, for, for anything else. They didn't pray for God to smite their enemies. They prayed that they would be given boldness to continue to do the mission that they were given from Jesus. And so maybe we do not experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we see comfort and safety as more important than boldness. I, I don't even know how I came across this quote, but President John F. Kennedy, during a national prayer breakfast in 1963, he quoted someone else. He quoted Reverend Phillips Brooks, and he said this. He said, do not pray for easy lives, pray for stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, pray for powers equal to your tasks. Well, we have been given a very mighty task of making disciples of all peoples, of all nations. And we absolutely cannot pray for the task to be easier right? That would be praying against God's will, right? It's, it's a difficult task. It's, it's pretty much an impossible task apart from God and from his power. What we have to pray for is for power, for the power of the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to faithfully make disciples of all peoples. And the good news is that we have the certainty that God will answer to that prayer and that God will fill us with his Holy Spirit and give us boldness to be a light here on the harbor or wherever it is that he has placed us to serve him like Jesus did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have been baptized with your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we belong to you, God. You have given us your Spirit as a seal that we are your property. And there is nothing more comforting than knowing that we belong to you. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to be seeking to be filled with your Holy Spirit every day, that we wouldn't dare to do anything in our own strength and power, but that we would be utterly dependent on your Holy Spirit. I pray that you help us identify the spiritual gifts that you've given each one of us so that we could serve your, your body, so that we can serve the church. I pray that you help us to fight our sin and grow in, in holiness by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness as a church. The task ahead of us of making disciples of all peoples is difficult. It's it's a hefty task. But we have a hefty God who has given us his spirit. Lord, we pray that you give us boldness. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who made it possible for us to receive the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who baptized us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.